This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. My name is Clark Rockfall, and I am ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. And today I'm joined by my co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Swatha Ananda Kumar. I am ACB Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And thank you to everyone who is listening, downloading, and streaming via your favorite podcast player, as well as those who are listening on the ACB Media Network. As always, you can learn more about the American Council of the Blind by visiting our website at www.acb.org. All right, Swatha, uh, many years in the making, but we have an excited, exciting conversation for folks today uh, about some of our advocacy work and one of our legislative imperatives for the year. Yeah, so... The website and software application accessibility act or HR 90201 or S4998 and talking with us about it is um, John Perret from the National Federation of the Blind, um, Stephanie Enyart from American Federation for the Blind and a, friend of, and a friend of the podcast and one you all know, Claire Stanley from National Federation Network. Hi guys, how are you all? Hi. Hello. Hello. All right. So let's go, Clark. And again, thank you all for agreeing to join us for this conversation here today, as well as uh, your joint advocacy efforts that have led to the introduction of the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act. Uh, we need to catch up, uh, come up with a catchy short name or acronym for the the WUSA bill or <laughs> WSA. Yeah, WSA cubed. There we go. Uh, but Claire, would you mind providing us a, a, a just a, a brief overview? Where did this bill come from? Yeah, for sure. Hey, everybody, it's Claire here. Just shout out to all our ACB family. It's great to be here. Um, like Swatha said, I work with the National Disability Rights Network, um, and we're excited to be um, an ally in this project. Um, so where did this come from? Um, I, I know I am preaching to the choir um, when we all know that the accessibility of many websites and applications are inaccessible or incompatible with screen reading software like JAWS, etc. And so this bill is something that's been in the making for a long time, um, led by many of our uh, friends, including the National Federation of the Blind, um, NFB. And kind of the idea was that um, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, a law, a law we all know and love, um, websites already are included. Um, federal agencies like the Department of Justice have said in very strong words that websites are included. But despite that, we have just kept hitting walls as far as companies, et cetera, making their websites accessible. Um, so many of our organizations that are here today have taken the steps to call for legislation um, that would 
in no uncertain terms say that this is necessary so that we can take a step forward in making websites accessible because we just keep uh, hitting walls in all different ways, whether it be promulgating regulations through DOJ um, or businesses following the commandments of DOJ and things like that. So we decided to take a legislative approach. Thanks, Claire. And you just gave us a, a very succinct Cliff Notes version. <laughs> so I'd, I'm going to turn to, to John Perret here and ask him to, to unpack this a little bit more. Uh, John, what's the what's the problem that this bill is, is looking to solve? Claire outlined it, but you, will you share with us a little bit more about the, the problem that this bill is uh, seeking to solve? Sure. Thank you, Clark and Swasa, and uh, and glad to be joined with uh, Claire and Stephanie. So the uh, I'm a blind person, and I encounter an inaccessible website or app almost every day. And I assume uh, most blind people experience the same frustration uh, on a daily basis. So we need to do something to really help improve the accessibility of websites and software applications. This could be in critical areas like education, K-12 and higher education, or in employment, all the various aspects of employment, or healthcare, or travel, and other places of public accommodations. And we really, uh, these four groups, the NFB, ACB, AFB, and NDRN have been working on what we refer to as a two-prong approach meaning that we are in the midst of urging uh, Department of Justice, Department of Civil Rights to issue the ADA Title II and Title III regulations. And a lot has been done to, uh, to urge them to do so. A number of letters have been instigated from members of Congress over to the Attorney General urging them to do so. And we continue to urge that. And Clark, as you mentioned, uh, progress has been has been made there with some announcements from the DOJ and what Claire referred to. And the other half would be this bill, the Software Website and Software Applications Accessibility Act, which would which would create a strong definition for accessibility, a functional definition for accessibility of websites and apps, which doesn't currently exist in law, which would be good to have that in statute and also to require a very specific regulatory schedule, uh, which we've called for, for both the DOJ and the EEOC. So I think this two-pronged approach, and especially what we're talking about today on the legislative side, is something that is really exciting. And one more question for me before I turn it back over to Swatha. John, thank you for that uh, explanation. Claire, To so to build off of that, we have three national blindness organizations, ACB, NFB, and AFB, uh, represented on this podcast. And uh, you are representing National Disability Rights Network. So my question is, is this only, is accessibility in the virtual built environment of websites and software applications, is that only a, a problem for people who are blind or people who have low vision? 
Thanks, Clark. Um, absolutely not. Um, thank you so much for asking this question, because otherwise I was going to jump in and wave my hands and say, no, this isn't just uh, an issue that impacts the blind and low vision community. Um, it impacts people with all kinds of different disabilities. And that's why this is a cross disability issue. And we can really work together. Um, for instance, persons who are deaf or hard of hearing use things like captioning and other features that often aren't built into the environment appropriately. Um, for websites. Um, persons with cognitive disabilities might have problems with the way websites are set up. Um, persons with um, uh, dexterity disabilities like quadriplegia, etc., might not be able to use their assistive technology like we use JAWS or other assistive tech. They use similar assistive tech software that might not be compatible with websites. So it is not just a blindness issue. And so as a result, um, we all need to work together. It's a really important issue. Awesome. Um, so, Stephanie, can you tell us, a, can you give a quick um, summary of what the bill is and, yeah, what it does, essentially? Well, thanks, Swatha. I would be delighted to share one of the kind of core pieces of, of this bill, um, and, and that's the way that we define accessibility and, and really how that will play out in a functional way. We're, we're, we're calling it a functional definition of accessibility. I'm gonna go ahead and talk a little bit about it, but first I'm gonna actually read the way that accessibility is defined in the bill today. So accessibility means a perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust website or application that enables people with disabilities to access the same information as to engage in the same interactions as, to communicate and to be understood as effectively as, and to enjoy the same services as offered to other individuals with the same privacy, the same independence, and the same ease of use as individuals without disabilities. So we've embedded this kind of definition, which really speaks to um, you know, the way that these websites and applications need to, to function for an individual with disabilities to have equitable access. That's only kind of one piece of, of what's embedded in this legislation. There's also a lot said in, in the legislation around the regulations. So it requires regulations to be issued within two years from enactment. And Ultimately, for those that don't have a lot of understanding of this, regulations will really clarify how a, a website or an application um, needs to meet a particular standard. Um, and we also embed information in this, in this bill that, that requires them to be regularly updated as well. So we're not gonna get into a situation where if the regulations say that the particular standard is, let's just say um, WCAG, 3.0 or something like that, um, that we would have 20 years that would pass or something like that. We would be in a spot where they would be updated on a far more regular basis. So between having kind of this functional approach and the way that we define accessibility and the fact that there is some regulation that would happen in, in you know, quick succession after enactment and on a regular basis, we're hoping that this will allow accessibility to remain a real evergreen um, 
issue for people with disabilities between these two pieces of the, of the legislation. And something else that's very, very important and very unique um, about the way that we have um, worked on this piece of legislation is the way that it um, identifies a certain amount of responsibility mm-hmm. for people that are commercial providers. And commercial providers are, are vendors that are creating um, digital products like websites and applications. So many businesses actually turn to a third party, someone outside of their company, to be able to create a website or an application. And it actually um, requires those vendors to follow the regulations and the letter of this law. Um, and so that is a dramatic departure from our current legal environment. Um, and it is something that is very unique when you're comparing it to what the Americans with Disabilities Act also says, um, because it is um, it does not specify this kind of um, responsibility. So those are a couple of things that I think are very unique features of this, um, this bill. And just to unpack the, the WCAG for people who don't know what, what it means for listeners or not all, not all, not all of the tech savvy DC-based, DC um, it is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. So yeah, mm-hmm. so WCHD, WCAG. What about you, Clark? All right, thanks, Swatha, and thank you, Stephanie. Uh, so Stephanie, you talked a little bit about ways that this bill, if once passed into law, would would operate. Um, and you touched on how that kind of diverges a little bit from the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, I guess I'd, first I'd like to ask, are there, uh, and I'll go to, to John first for this. When, when we talk about, as Stephanie mentioned, um, commercial providers, those, those vendors, what are some examples, whether in a, an education setting, an employment setting, or you know, the commercial business setting, um, what are some examples of these kind of vendors or commercial providers? Sure. Thanks, Clark, for that question. So it might be in an educational setting where somebody creates some educational software, maybe for a particular class, and they uh, sell it to the school for them to use in their classes. And maybe especially at the beginning, there isn't a blind student or other people, uh, another person with a disability. So the school uses it. Maybe they have been told that the they think it's accessible and they start to uh, deploy it integrate it. And then after a little bit of time, a blind student comes along and it doesn't work. And so often they say, well, you know, we, this is a problem because at this point we've, we've already purchased it. It's embedded. And uh, this bill would help say, no, that the folks that provided the software in the first place for the educational setting would have responsibility for its accessibility right from the get-go. And so I think that we think that that will dramatically improve um, accessibility because the commercial providers who are creating this software will know that they are going to be held accountable and therefore will work harder to make sure the accessibility is, is there right from the start, baked in right from the start 
And that's what will make the big difference. Thanks, John. And, and Claire, uh, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, already covers places of employment in Title I, uh, many educational settings in Title II and Title III, uh, businesses and other places of, of public accommodation. Um, so I guess why, why is this bill necessary? Yeah, so this bill is necessary for a lot of reasons. Um, kind of like I talked about at the beginning, the the bill, the Americans with Disabilities Act has just been hard to uphold as it pertains to websites and uh, applications because let's be real, websites and applications weren't around at the genesis of the ADA. So even though it does technically apply, um, it's hard for people to really understand that. Um, so this bill is created not to amend the ADA. We'll be very clear about that. It's not there to amend the ADA. It's there to expand upon the ADA and to grow things because again, the ADA was passed 32 years ago. And so this is really there to provide um, further explanation and to really say, hey, we live in the 21st century websites and applications and other software are there. Uh, we need to have some really definitive definitions, kind of like what Stephanie was talking about earlier, about defining what accessibility is, about requiring regulations that'll be um, assessed on a regular rolling basis, because Stephanie is the example of in 20 years, websites and applications and technology as we know it is going to be drastically different in 20 years from now. So that's why this is really um, necessary because we're in the 21st century where technology is really evolving. So we really need something that's going to um, adapt to the time. Um, I also think, um, and this might be going further than you're asking Clark, but I'm going to put a plug in for it is because what John was just talking about how um, the responsibility in the employment space that you were just talking about, Clark, um, can get really confusing and really messy, for lack of a better word. Um, people are constantly paying for software from one place and it's being implemented in another place and then a third party is playing it. And so the fingers can be pointed every which way. And so having some of these responsibilities going back to the company um, or whoever who designed the software is really important uh, because it gets really messy and it gets really confusing. Um, I'll, I'll stop talking in a second, but I, I'd like to use this example before because when I was working at ACB, one of our very own members um, was employed somewhere and that um, that place of employment used a third party software. And so this person called and said, what do I do? And I said, well, under the ADA, your employer in Title I is responsible um, to make accommodations, but her employer was pointing the finger at the company they bought the software from. And so we had to explain, well, your employer is responsible, but you're in a really between a rock and a hard place because she was trying to work with her employer. So it's really messy. That's a great point, Claire. Yeah, that's a great point, Claire. Um, just to follow, follow on that, um, like the does this bill amend or affect the ADA at all? Claire, and you can Claire too. Um, I'm not sure if that was question was coming yeah, at me. Yeah, Walker. Claire, yeah, okay. Claire, yeah, for Claire. Yeah, Claire, yeah. So, so like I said a moment ago, but we will emphasize that over and over again, that no, this does not amend the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, that's something that in the legal and uh, legislative background of the uh, ADA and kind of the history over the last two, 22, 
32. I can't do math. Over the last 32 years, we've seen we do not want to open up or amend the ADA. This works in parallel. I like the word parallel because it does a lot of what the ADA says. And a lot of the definitions that come up in this law are borrowed from the ADA, but it works in tandem. It's parallel, but it is not the ADA. In fact, uh, there are uh, there are components of the law that I'd love to hear maybe John speak about because he knows the law really well. There are components of this bill that go further. And so we've even talked to some people and they say, well, that's not in the ADA. And we've said, exactly. <laughs> this goes further. That's what we want. So, yep. John, you want to jump in? Well, certainly the commercial provider portion is not currently existing in the ADA. And we think that is one of the most significant parts of this bill. And I think the idea kind of also just in a little bit in the building on the ADA, Tony Coella, the Honorable Tony Coella, is considered by most to be the father of the ADA. And he has been working with everyone on this call uh, on this legislation and in fact, has uh, a quote with, from him was included in Senator Tammy Duckworth's press release, I guess, joint press release with Representative John Sarbanes. <laughs> and that quote says that the introduction of this bill is as significant as the introduction of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And for him uh, to compare this bill in such a favorable uh, light with the uh, ADA I think is a real uh, evidence, sign of evidence that people are realizing, uh, as Clark, as you said, that the virtual environment, that we must make the virtual environment as accessible, as accessible as it is to other people without disabilities, for people with disabilities, and um, maybe because I'm speaking as National Federation of Blind, specifically for blind people, even though the bill as Claire said, is, is really a cross-disability bill when it comes to the accessibility. And I think that's what is so exciting. John, is it common that uh, a piece of legislation that would be introduced as it relates to disability rights, um, say, for example, is supplemental to the ADA and, and doesn't amend the ADA? Are there other examples where disability rights legislation have, have done exactly the same thing that this bill is doing? There certainly was. And I know some of these, um, you can probably even help us because you're uh, uh, quite good at quoting several of these, but there are a number of analogies. So I can actually, if I, if I can flip it back to you, there are a number of analogies uh, of this similar thing of how you might say that the uh, this website and Software Applications Accessibilities Act will extend the ADA uh, similar to uh, other civil rights laws. Sure. All right, putting the host Stephanie, on the I, hot seat here. Oh, yeah. Stephanie, I, for I the same, go for it. I have an example <laughs> for you. Um, you know, when, when the Americans with Disabilities Act was, you know, coming together legislatively, people asked why, why we even needed it at that time, because we had Section 504 of the Rehab Act. Um, and of course, you know, 504 has a certain um, similarity to what the ADA has um, in terms of like definition of disability mm -hmm. and other things. And um, there is certainly some overlap um, in terms of the kinds of entities that Section 504 and parts of the ADA apply to. 
So people ask that kind of question, would this, would this be necessary? Would this be redundant? And the, the answer is, yes, there can be aspects of it that are redundant. In other words, they may apply to some of the same kinds of entities, or they may use similar definitions, but they can accomplish different things in parallel in that same concept that, that Claire spoke to. Um, they supplement each other. Um, one may go farther or be more detailed in certain spaces than the other. And so this is really in the same kind of design spirit, so to speak, where you have the ADA that, that clearly does apply to websites and applications. Um, and yet at the same time, there are things that this bill does that the ADA um, does not. And so they just simply supplement and build on that. Um, and, and they also have some similarities in the way things are defined. Um, so, you know, this is not a, a foreign concept to have a level of redundancy or, or parallel advocacy. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really no different than the space we've been in before. Uh, Stephanie, that's a that's a great example. Another one that often comes to mind is our our nation's voting rights laws, um, starting with the you know the Voting Rights Act, as well as the uh, Help America Vote Act, which was just passed in two thousand two. And uh, of course, the the ADA has implications for disability rights access to voting as well. So another example of how different laws passed in different decades can supplement and build upon one another. And a, another example coming to mind is as technology is being used more and more in the, in the healthcare environment. There could be situations where the Rehabilitation Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act all have provisions that provide for equal access and uh, discouraging discrimination of people with disabilities to healthcare services and in healthcare settings. So not uncommon at all. Um, so this question for um, Claire, Stephanie, or John, you can take this. Um, where can folks learn more about the bill or actually um, learn learn more about how it works and what and why, why it's important. Claire, we can start with you. Yeah, um, so I'm sure we all have different resources um, mm. of places we can go. So I'll specifically point out the NDRN resources, but then I'm excited to hear with all four of our organizations. But specifically with NDRN, we use a service where there's an explanation. People can go to our site, ndrn.org, and we have an explanation of the bill. And then there's an easy, um, I'll call it a button. There's an easy button you can push. You put in your zip code and boom, you can send a letter out to your senators and Congress members. So we definitely um, encourage everybody to use that because it makes it very easy um, to reach out to your Congress members and it kind of explains what the bill is. So we definitely encourage, NDRN would encourage you to go to NDRN.org and search that and find that. And then we were also going to have shortly a way for persons to share um, their own experiences with in a, in a 
in accessible websites, which I'm sure everybody listening will nod your head because we all have a million stories. And that'll go out through, I think, all four of our different um, listservs and resources. So those are two um, components I would point to. But I have a feeling amongst all four organizations, um, there will be many, many, many places you can go. Stephanie? I, I just concur with what Clara has shared. I mean, um, we have, of course, links to information related to the bill um, that people will be able to go and read more about. I know that that's the kind of information that came out when, when the bill was introduced. And so there's, there's a one-pager, there's Q&As, um, you know, there's a summary um, of each section. Um, so there's a section-by-section -section summary. Um, these sorts of documents can be really helpful educational tools, can also be easily forwarded or shared with people you're trying to tell about this. And I think that in the months to come, um, and as we look at a, a new congressional session, um, we will have a lot of other forthcoming information related to people getting involved. John? Sure. So we have a fact sheet on uh, nfb.org. And we also uh, would suggest that people go, I think as, as Claire and Stephanie have said, to uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth's or Congressman Sarbanes' website. The joint press release that they put out is was quite comprehensive. It wasn't um, a shorter version. It was quite, quite long and quite comprehensive. And then links to the... Uh, section-by-section section analysis, which is quite good, uh, frequently asked questions, and a short sort of one-pager that's actually two pages, but it's relatively uh, short. Uh, we've all reviewed that, and it's uh, quite quite helpful and quite good. Uh, Congressman Sarbanes, and maybe Clark can tell folks how to get to this in a second, but Congressman Sarbanes did do also a two-and-a-half-minute video which was shown at the M Enabling Conference, where he explained and did quite a nice job summarizing uh, the bill and mentioning many of the points that, that, that folks have heard today. And so this there's really kind of a plethora of information. Also, if I know all of the groups are collecting stories about uh, when, when we all encounter inaccessible websites and apps so that we continue to communicate to members of Congress what the problem is and how this bill would help solve the problem and help improve uh, our ability to live the lives we want. So I think it's important that people do continue to document uh, inaccessibility and how, how this is such a problem and therefore why this bill would be so substantial in improving things. I think one other place too, this is Claire, just to jump in. Um, I know NDRN use social media. So if you go on our social media and look at some of our, for instance, on Twitter, look at our tweets, um, things like that, I'm sure the other orgs have done. Um, so we live in a world of social media. So please retweet and reshare and all the things you do on social media these days too. That's definitely a place to, to share and get the word out. And on social media, it's commonly posts about this legislation, about the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act. We'll use the hashtag A11Y Act. So A11Y, because there are 11 letters between the A and Y in accessibility, and you can be an ally 
for people with disabilities by embracing accessibility. So A11Y Act. Um, John, to answer your question about where the video from Representative Sarbanes is, uh, if folks go to YouTube and you search for Representative Sarbanes, or if you search the channel of the M Enabling Summit, uh, the M stands for mobile, so M hyphen enabling. And this is a, a conference that is hosted by G3ICT uh, that just happened a few weeks ago. As John said, it was, it was a great introduction to the bill and an opportunity for uh, AFB, ACB, and NFB to present on this topic and on this legislation to a room full of government and corporate officials, uh, because we are we are seeking allies wherever we can to improve and help promote this legislation. Uh, and to that end, I'd, I'd also encourage folks to visit the, the acb.org website to learn more about this legislation and also to see the, the joint press release that our four organizations put out. Uh, in in solidarity with one another, but also in solidarity with Senator Duckworth and Representative Sarbanes commending their leadership on the introduction of this important legislation. Swathi, you're gonna jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, we, and Claire, Claire can touch on this. Claire can I touch on this with their um, NDR and the easy button, easy button, easy button um, kind of, topic, but um, how can folks who want to get this bill passed or introduced um, or kind of build awareness, awareness around it for Congress members or anyone in public, um, what can they do? And we can start with Claire again. Sure. Um, just quickly reiterating, um, we have a resource on ndrn.org where you can go and read about any bills, including this bill. It'll give you a quick summary of the bill. Um, you can enter in your zip code. It'll pull up your rep and senator um, and you can easily send kind of a generic letter or you can go in and edit it and make it your own. Um, but it's a great way to, um, to reach out to your Congress member. Um, you can also always just reach out through the switchboard um, on the Hill, which I know Swatha can always give us that phone number. She's got it in her head. Um, so you can always call the switchboard and do it as well. Um, but just please, please, please reach out to your Congress members, your senators. Um, this, this session, the 117th is coming quickly to an end, but it's not too late to bring awareness regardless. And then we hope to get it reintroduced quickly in the 118th. Great, that number is 202, oh gosh, uh, 224-3129, I believe. I'm yes, 202-224-3121. Uh, and John, I'll, I'll pose a similar question to you. Claire shared with us the, the mechanics of how folks can contact their members of Congress, uh, but specific well, not specific, including ACB and NFB members, why is it important that folks contact their members of Congress with regards to this legislation? The, the goal at this stage is to build co-sponsor support. So as, uh, as, as you contact your member of Congress, so we would urge folks to contact their um, 
representative, and there are two senators. You've heard the bill numbers. I'll repeat them. H.R. 9021 and S4998. And to talk about first, I think when you when you're talking to a member of Congress, it's important to explain uh, why what the problem is and how this affects you personally to illustrate a personal story about the problem of website and software application accessibility. And that this bill would help, and then to explain that this bill would help solve the problem, you don't necessarily have to go into a lot of detail on that part. The key is that that you have a problem that this bill would help solve, and that the uh, if they, uh, your representative and senators, were to co-sponsor this bill, that you would be very appreciative. Uh, and they're your elected official. This is a very bipartisan issue. And it uh, would help improve accessibility for all people with disabilities. And I think the key is that we educate members of Congress about how beneficial this legislation could be for all of us. So the key is the education, and that um, will should help build some momentum, and then we'll see how things go. Okay. I think it's it's important to note that this issue is bipartisan and is broad 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 in scope. So I mean, it's very important to 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 know that 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 is. Um. So, yeah. Um. Thanks, John Perre, Claire Stanley, and Stephanie Enyart for your um for being 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 here today. And as always, if you want to learn more about ACB, you can go, you visit you can visit um acb.org. You can also email us, um, Clark and me, on advocacy issues at advocacy at acb.org. We will, we will link the resources they talked to um, John today. And um, as always, Clark. Keep advocating for accessible websites and software applications. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.